I don't want to see an ordinary film. I want to see something extraordinary. Your sacrifice completes my sanctuary of 1,000 testicles. You ever feel as if your mind had started to erode? Let's rock indeed. Welcome to 1000 Wives of Weird, a podcast that celebrates weird movies, although today we are not doing a movie. I'm Brad Hefner, and with me no longer is Billy Martell. Billy has decided to leave the show. Uh, He felt it's what's best for him. Uh, We are still friends. We still talk. We still... uh, Again, he's been very busy, so we haven't hung out much. But everything is okay between us, and that was the primary goal, like... The show's an easy thing to amputate. Uh, hopefully, maybe Billy has recorded or given me something to read, which I will insert now. Howdy, folks. This is Billy Martell, co-host of 1,000 Wives of Weird, now former co-host of 1,000 Wives of Weird, uh, which is my awkward way of letting you know that I am officially leaving uh, the 1,000 Wives of Weird podcast and that Brad will be moving on with a new co-host, Ian, whom you've heard in two episodes of the show at this point. This message is mostly if you liked my contributions to the show, or if you are concerned that this change is in some way indicative of a falling out uh, between myself and Brad, or uh, some sort of betrayal of the of the of the show or its ideals or themes, to lay those fears hopefully to rest. I have greatly enjoyed making this show, and I am very proud of most of the episodes that Brad and I produced for it. Before I was a part of this show, there was another co-host, as we've mentioned many many times, uh, Brennan Jesus. Brennan left host his hosting duties for the show because he simply moved away from where Brad and he could record, and I am leaving my hosting duties for reasons entirely my own. Without getting too far into it, I am no longer in a state where I feel comfortable promising Brad that I can be present and uh, able to record on a weekly basis uh, an entire two-hour show, making the notes, doing the editing, uh, which I was not doing all of the editing. In fact, he was doing most of it. But that's also kind of a problem, right? Because I was not allow- I-, I was not covering my end of editing, and uh, I did not see me getting better at that in the future. In fact, I saw me getting worse at that. So there are all those reasons on top of the fact that I simply found myself in a position where I felt like I had run out of things to say. There are certainly more movies that I would like to talk about, uh, and perhaps I will talk about them. Maybe I'll come on the show as a guest, or maybe if Ian is sick someday, I will uh, pinch hit for him as a host or something like that. I don't know. I don't know what I will feel like doing in the future. All I know is that for right now, I feel like I have exhausted the things that I have to say in this particular format on this particular show. And I don't want to make Brad's show worse by trying to fake uh, something that I'm not uh, producing naturally. Ian taking over as the host is something that Brad and I both suggested to each other. Uh, When we were having the conversation about me leaving the show, we both had the ideas in our head that the show would continue. We neither of us were under any illusions that the show would end when I left. 
and both of us independently of the other came up with the idea, you know who should really become the new co-host? It's Ian. He brought a lot of passion and a lot of heart to the show, and I'm so happy for him and Brad, and I hope that uh, they continue doing this show for years and years. My fondest hope would be for this show... Uh, we, Brad and I always hoped that the show would become successful uh, and become uh, like a big deal. My fondest hope for the show is that it becomes so big and so listened to and, and so popular that there are people ages from now who are listening to it and being like, you know who was a great co-host? Billy. That's my favorite. I'm a Billy person. And another person is like, you idiot. Billy sucked. Ian was where it was at. And... You know, just just for Ian and myself to become the new... I'm not including Brennan because his episodes are not on the web right now, although maybe they would be in, in the future, who knows. But I would love for myself and Ian to become the new Joel-Mike debate. That would be fantastic. Like I said, I'm very proud of the work that I did for this show. I'm very proud of the material, again, most of the material that Brad and I have uh, produced. And I will be very selfishly listening to my own show with Brad uh, into the future. I'm certain of it. And perhaps one day I will come back. Yes, perhaps I will come back. Until then, there must be no tears, no regrets, no anxieties. Just move forward in all your beliefs and prove to me that I am not mistaken in mine. The day may come when I am back once again like Paul Newman, but for now, I am gone like Robert Redford. Oh, that was great. That was so lovely. Thank you, Billy. Uh, I'm glad we found that escape pod and a box of ham dingers so you could get off the satellite. But uh, with Billy's departure means that uh, we need to bring in someone new, and we have Chief Keefe himself, Ian Kiefer, the new co-host of 1000 Wives of Weird. Hello, everyone. I'm I'm so happy to be here. Ian, welcome to the show. Thank you for agreeing to be the new co-host. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me as the new co-host. I'm honored. So Ian is obviously going to, not that anyone listens to the show and I need to like uh, preface anything. Ian's obviously going to be different than Billy. He has different uh, background, uh, different uh, genres, things that he explores. And also, Ian currently does not have a mic, and he's also in a dorm room. So, uh, yeah, and we are probably never, rarely, if ever, going to be in the same room doing this. So things are going to be different. It's going to take a little time to adjust, but this should be great fun. And for Ian's first pick, he has decided to do, uh, well, why don't you tell us, Ian? So I decided to do the mini-series from Cartoon Network, Over the Garden Wall. So this was in 2014, created by Patrick McHale, who was like worked on Flapjack and Adventure Time. But it tells the story of two boys who get lost in the woods and their adventures and the, the people they find and stuff. That's the basic. I don't want to go too much into spoilers because we're going to yeah. talk about it. But like, yeah, it's about two boys and kind of their discovery and everything in the woods. We're going to be chopping this into two segments. We're doing episodes. We're doing chapters one through five this week. Then next week, it'll be my pick. And then we will return to Over the Garden Wall for six through ten. So, Brad, did you do you recommend Over the Garden Wall? Absolutely. Uh, I, I watched this a little bit ago. Last year, I think, was my first time and absolutely loved it. 
if you love autumn, this is the perfect autumn show. It's a little bit spooky. Well, it's it's pretty spooky. There's a lot of spooks in this. But it, it's all just sort of, not necessarily Halloween, just autumnal. The animation style is great. There's some awesome music. I, I adore many of the episodes. Yeah, this is a fantastic pick. Uh, altogether, it'll take you about two hours to get through, which is not too shabby for a television show. I absolutely recommend this. Ian, would you recommend it? I would absolutely recommend it. Um, so I have a quick little story of how I came about this. So I had people, I think you might have mentioned about Over the Garden Wall before, and it's just something that a lot of people in my life have said, oh, you got to watch this. And I always thought it was a show. And then I looked it up, and it's like, they're 12-minute episodes, and there's 10 of them. So like you said, it takes two hours to get through. So I knew it was about Halloween this year, and I was like, I'm going to watch this. So I watched it, and I watched the first episode, and I was like, I like the art style. I like where this is going, but I'm not completely sold yet, which my uh, feeling actually kind of differed this watch, because then I was sold from the first episode again. I went on a hike with my friend, and I was telling her I was watching this show, and she's like, oh my god, that show is phenomenal. And I was like, okay, so I'll check out the other episode. So the second episode completely sold it for me and i watched the whole thing that night and i've i've watched it like four times now uh it's just so pleasing to watch like i mean you said about halloween and autumnal it's just the perfect vibes and everything and like i won't get into it but like beautifully animated masterfully written and acted and oh my god the music it's so good yeah Let's start walking through this. This started out as a short film called Tome of the Unknown, which Patrick McHale uh, created and had a few of the same voice actors that remain in this. Elijah Wood voices one of our main characters, Wirt. It was someone else in Tome of the Unknown that voices the talking bluebird Beatrice. It was um, Natasha Leggero. That's it, Leggero. Uh, which when I saw that, I was like, oh, Natasha Leggero, that's great. And then immediately flew out of my mind. But yeah, Tome of the Unknown uh, was about, I think it was called something different in the short as well. It wasn't Wirt. I think it was like Walter. Oh, was yeah, it? I think that's, I think that's right. Because I, yeah. I read a little bit onto that. Yeah. But uh, he and his brother Greg are trying to find the Tome of the Unknown. They encounter a talking bluebird. Uh he took it to Cartoon Network, and around that time, they were thinking about making movies, and they were like, can you, this doesn't really fit, uh, can you make it episodic? And at that time, Pendleton Ward tapped Patrick McHale to be creative director on Adventure Time, and you are definitely going to see that Adventure Time vibe in oh, parts yeah. of Over the Garden Wall. The use of music and the use of like sort of kid-friendly horror elements mm -hmm. but eventually after uh eventually they uh patrick mcgale took it back to cartoon network and was like okay uh, i can do this in 18 episodes and they're like we'll give you 10 which caused him to condense the story sort of changed now it's no longer we need to find the tome of the unknown which has all the forgotten knowledge now we just need to get back home mm -hmm. uh that's just a little bit about where the yeah i um i have a little bit to add on to that um so i remember also i read that Pen um patrick McHale wanted it to originally be a story of like uh like we'll talk about the beast and everything but like basically instead of the beast it was like i think it was say uh, death 
and they like get thrown off a train and they think and then the whole time this evil monster is trying to get them back on this train and they think it's the train to death like they're going to die and yeah. they finally at the very end of the series they get back on this train and they figure out it was the train to life oh. and that was the end that was the original um, story. I like this story that they came up with a lot more. Yeah. And I also love the story of them getting back way more than Tome of the Unknown, just because I think it shows more like, I think it's one more interesting, but also it shows their development as characters. And yeah. Uh, I did. Uh, I meant to watch Tome of the Unknown, but I never got around to it because not that I didn't have time. It was literally like, now that Billy's gone, I'm the ADHD one. So it's like, I was like, yeah, I, I should watch this. Oh, I want to watch Better Call Saul. I want to watch mm. Angels and Cherubs. I want to watch, like, just sort of forgetting about it, not intentionally being lazy, just being like, oh, yeah, I should have watched that. Uh, I'll watch it for the part two. I, I was just going to say it, too. I had it, like, queued up, and then Angels in America, which I'm directing for Juniata and everything, started jumping up. I was like, oh, I better watch these because I have to direct today. So I was like, I better watch this and actually get ready for that. So I'll also watch it for part two so we can talk about that. All right. Why don't you start uh, walking us through? Let's start with episode or chapter one because it's packaged differently depending on how you watch it. I watched. I bought the series on Amazon Video. So there are episodes consisting of two chapters, but you watched each chapter individually. I did. Yep. So uh, we'll let's go with chapters instead of episodes. Chapter one. All right. Uh, really quick for chapter one. I also want to talk really quick about the inspiration of like the art style because I did a little bit of research in this and also things that I thought of. So like I thought of Alice in Wonderland. I think it's very Wonderland-esque. And then I actually read that he did a lot of Gustave Doré illustrations, which is a very famous illustrator of, like, Don Quixote, uh, Divine Comedy. And I, when we get through this, I have something to talk about with uh, Dante's Inferno, because sure. I think there's a lot of parallels I want to talk about. But a lot of these, I actually have a book of uh, Divine Comedy's illustrations, and I'm like, this looks so similar, and that's another reason why I loved it so much. Huh. I will. I, I'm. I'm familiar with Doré. Is that how you say his mm -hmm. name? Uh, I, have, I have no idea. <laughs> uh, Gustav Dor. Uh, yeah. I, I'm familiar with his work, but I will have to look at it again to see the comparison. But I enjoy what uh, uh, G Dor has done so far. Uh, yeah, me too. What I've seen. So. All right, chapter one. So chapter one is called The Old Grist Mill, and we open with a frog playing a piano. And immediately, immediately, I love this. It's it's all in a black theme. He's in a void, and it's this beautifully singing frog. He's playing the piano, and the song is awesome. It's beautiful. It really sets the autumnal feeling. Yeah, um, the main theme is called Into the Unknown, not the crappy Frozen 2 song <laughs> that Elsa sings, but a good song. Uh, that's all I think of is that song was so popular two years ago. But um, I've never I heard love it. This. I've never seen Frozen 2. Oh, you don't want to hear it. It's bad. Okay. <laughs> we might lose our uh, zero listeners after I said that. Is it, <laughs> is it about... Uh, is Elsa like, is Olaf dying and Elsa's going to be like, you're going into the unknown. Cold no, death. it's, it's, I've never seen Frozen 2, but I've seen the little scene and yeah. it's basically just, you know, let it go, right? Yeah. It's basically let it go 2.0, but she goes like into the, uh, no, and she goes like falsetto, like super high. 
and it's so I don't like it. But okay, <laughs> uh, but yeah. So we have the main theme into the unknown. I love this. I mean, mm-hmm. it just sets the show beautifully. It's performed by Jack Jones, who is a Grammy winning pop artist who sang the Love Boat theme. Uh, he'll sing the impossible dream and a whole bunch of other like really everything well he is fantastic he is and i read something that uh patrick McHale was actually inspired by his music to make this so i'm happy that he actually got jack jones that's great uh yeah so what do you think of do you have anything to say about into the unknown the song uh no just that i love it uh it's it's just fantastic. Like I said, it's a, sets the autumnal feeling. Yeah, the lyrics. I love the lyrics, how beautiful they are and everything. Okay, so the first scene, during the song, we see a whole bunch of these scenes that flash uh, before our eyes. So we see a girl laying with her dog. We see a pumpkin harvest. We see some dolls sitting on a uh, cupboard. We have an old man looking at a painting, uh, fish fishing, and an old man cutting wood with his daughter. That's just some of them. I never saw this until this watch, but it's a prologue for everything we're about to watch. Yeah. And I never, I don't know why, I guess I never connected it. I think I probably was just like vibing to the song and everything and not looking at the stuff. But like, we'll talk about some of the things this episode and some of the things next episode, but this is basically before we have our characters come in, this is what our whole thing is. So we get a voiceover, also by Jack Jones, introducing us to The Unknown, a place where long-lost stories are revealed to those who travel through the wood. That's the quote. I love that quote. So we see two boys walking through the woods, and we have Wirt and Greg. Yes. So Wirt is played by Elijah Wood, as you mentioned, probably most famously from the Lord of the Rings trilogy, probably some other stuff too. Uh, he's. I generally enjoy him. The movie Come to Daddy, which features show favorite Stephen McCaddy, is Ooh. worth a watch. I know I've seen plenty of great Elijah Wood stuff. <laughs> he's great as uh, Kevin in Sin City. Oh, yeah. I forgot he's in that. Yeah. He's also in the best film ever made, Spy Kids 3. Yes. Oh, my God. Spy Kids 3 had a moment that made, like, I was watching it in a group. We were having drinks. It made me laugh so hard, I poured my drink out. No, I love the design of Wirt mm-hmm. and Greg because we're, we're shown this sort of rustic place and we get the idea that's sort of fantastical given that there's a singing frog. Greg with the teapot on his head and his, <laughs> uh, his weird green overall pantaloons and Wirt and his cape and dunce cap, they look like they belong in the world even though it's going to become clear that they are lost. We just assume that they are lost from another part of weird fantasy autumn land. Although we're going to get clues that that is not the case. Yes. Yeah. Um, the other thing, like um, I'm going to talk about like Dante throughout, but one of the first things I saw here is he, Wirt looks similarly like Dante. I don't know if you've seen the famous picture with the red cap. I think I have. Is it, but it's not like a dunce cap, is it? It's not a dunce cap, but it goes up and then down and everything. And I think it yeah. looks... And then, like, we get later on that Wirt's a poet and everything. Mm. Uh, Dante was obviously a poet and everything. So there's other connections, but I think... Because they can't just make... I mean, you can't just be look exactly like that because then everyone... But I think the whole red cap was, one, like, supposed to be, like you said, like a dunce cap, but also supposed to show that kind of, like, 
uh, coming back and everything, but yeah, I don't even know if it's necessarily supposed. It just looks like a dunce cap, and, and if you're not <laughs> if you're not familiar with this incredibly old reference, a dunce cap is basically like a big party hat, but it mm-hmm. like is taller and covers more of your head. Like I don't think Wirt is a dunce. I just think again, it's meant to evoke this sort of like fantasy thing. It's like, oh yeah, that's how a weird elf creature would dress, I guess. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, Greg is played by Colin Dean, um, who I didn't know anything from. Um, the only thing I knew him from from his whole credits was he was in Adventure Time. And I don't know how much you've watched Adventure Time. Um, Do you remember Mew Mew, the little cat assassin? I think so. He's like this, he's like uh, two inches tall, and he has his little shuriken, and he's like, "I'm Mew Mew," and he like tries to poison Jake, and then Jake gets poisoned. They have to get the antidote and everything. I think I did watch this one. I think that's Colin Dean. I'm pretty oh. sure that's who that's played by, and I think he also plays uh, Finn's friend, who like Jay, who J- Jake gets jealous of and everything. So like, he's been around in like the uh, animation thing, but he's actually eight or nine when this was recorded. Well, he is fantastic. He is absolutely hitting these lines. Like, he he gives so much personality to Greg. Like, it's perfect. There are so many times in shows where I, like, you have, like, a little kid uh, voicing a character. And to me, it's just usually annoying. Maybe it's just because I don't like kids. But, like, it's just always such a high-pitched voice. And it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's so annoying. The one exception I have is a lot of people hate Mabel in Gravity Falls. I love Mabel, but like, well, Mabel's not played by a child. No, 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 no. But a lot of people say that about her voice gets on people's nerves. I like her voice, but like for Colin Dean, I think it's perfect. It's just the epitome of innocence. And that is just sort of Greg is going to be a figure of chaos throughout (laughs) this, but never malicious chaos. Just like I'm a dumb child chaos no no we'll go, i have some of my favorite greg lines written down um, uh, one of them is coming up very soon for me oh i'm so excited i mean my f- least favorite episode in these things is the last episode which you can talk about but it has two of my favorite greg lines in the entire show <laughs> okay so greg is starting the, my favorite running joke to the whole show is he's going through names for his frog well he's going <laughs> through names that are bad for his frog work discovers they are lost and Greg is leaving a trail of candy everywhere he goes. Which we're going to find out, and this is a, I feel, a very mild spoiler, that this is taking place on Halloween. It's taking place yeah. in quotes. But even though we're shown these two in ridiculous fashion, and Greg is leaving candy, I never twigged onto it until the first time I watched it at the end. Yeah, I uh, I remember I was watching with my uh, friend, the same one who's on the hike and everything, and I was saying, like, yeah, no, I mean, I think they're probably, they were probably pilgrims, like, through the whole thing. I thought they were just in a, not even pilgrims, but they're just in fantasy land. Like, this yeah. wasn't real life. And then that episode nine just, especially, I mean, we'll get to it when we get to it, but that song, if you remember, The Fight Is Over, mm-hmm. oh, my God, it just hits me when it's like, oh, my God, this is a real kid and everything, and it's, oh, it's so good. So then we discover Wirt is poetic. This kind of sets up this character. Um, I think this sets our characters up beautifully. One of my favorite, like, setting MPs, you have Greg just going through, naming frog, throwing candy, and Wirt is, like, waxing poetically about lost souls. and Yeah. 
<laughs> Which is another thing that makes us feel like they are, even though they are lost, that they are part of the larger world is because Wirt's being sort of weird and flowery. And it's like, these are not, they're not from the real world. No, it, it, I mean, it, it helps hit that like divine comedy-esque thing of like, this is just a poet poet just walking through worlds and everything. Yeah. Um. And then I also, I, we talked a little about Colin Dean. I love Elijah Wood and everything perfect voice oh yeah like absolutely just hits every mark for me i think it's perfect um okay they come across probably my favorite character in the whole show an old woodsman who is singing and collecting wood and this woodsman is played by the man the myth the legend christopher lloyd yeah and he does great as always does. oh god him in one flew over the cuckoo's nest he was in that he was in that but yeah no the woodsman is great and again just a wonderful addition to the world and like, Oh fuck. It's a creepy woodsman. And he's uh, raving about a beast. Yep. Yep. Definitely. Um, they also come across a bluebird offering mm-hmm. to help them find their way home. And then this is, uh, so you said it was originally played by Natasha Legar, Legero, Legero, Legero in the original, but this is played by Melanie Linsky. I was going to ask, do you recognize the name? Cause she has many film credits, but I oh, didn't yeah. recognize her. Yeah. Oh, okay. No. Uh, she's fantastic. She was in the Peter Jackson movie Heavenly Creatures. Haven't seen it. It's good. It's worth a watch. Well, one of Jackson's early stuff before Ooh. Lord of the Rings, and he just only made Lord of the Rings movies after that. Yeah. Um, I heard that he was pretty weird before Lord of the Rings, right? He was a oh, pretty yeah. out there he, director. He he yeah he made some weird stuff. He made some very gory movies. Melanie Linsky is also in the show Yellow Jackets, which I really enjoy. I haven't seen, but uh, she does great. I mean, she's great in the, as this role yeah. and everything. Uh, when I when you said when you brought up and when it reminded me of uh, not Natasha Legero, I'll get it one day. <laughs> Natasha Legero, can you imagine if this was <laughs> Beatrice? Hey, I'm over here to talk to you. <laughs> I think you're I think you're confusing Natasha Legero with Natasha Leone. Am I? I think so. Because I thought Natasha Legero was the one who had the really smoker voice. Nope, that's Natasha Leone. Oh, okay. Well that's why I'm like so confused about everything. Okay, then I have no idea who Natasha Legero is. Uh she's a comedian. She was um she's done a couple shows. Uh she's not widely known, but uh oh. Interesting. Okay, did you have anything else you want to say about Bluebird? Um, just again, like I love the the show is going to repeatedly invert and pull the rug out from under you. So I just love again. I feel and I, this is like the fifth time I brought it up. It does not feel like it feels the way Wirt reacts to a talking bird. It's like, oh yeah. He finds the bird weird, but he's still dressed like a crazy person. So he must still be from fantasy land. And he, yeah. he's just going to a deeper part of fantasy land. And I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Words confused or the bird can talk. And I was like, that's kind of where I was like, okay, where are, like, I was going to say, I thought that would just be usually when a, animals can talk characters. Like, yeah, no, I mean, that's, that's what life is and everything. Yeah. Interesting that Greg is like that way. I and mean, I think it's more just his innocence as being an mm-hmm. eight-year-old and stuff. Just being like, okay, sure. Uh, we see a black turtle come, like, uh, creeping out of the shot, and Greg puts a piece of candy on it. Because <laughs> that's what you do when you find a turtle. And then the woodsman scares the bejesus out of Wart and Gregory. 
comes out of nowhere, uh, yells at them and everything, and says, These woods are no place for children. Don't you know the beast is afoot here? Mm-hmm. Setting up our, our big bad of the beast and everything. And then one of my favorite quotes, he says directly after it, Welcome to the unknown. You're more lost than you realize. <laughs> That's great. That's a wonderful line. Delivered beautifully by Christopher Lloyd. And so then the camera pans to a scary tree, what looks like a face in it, which we don't know what that is yet. And then the woodsman takes Wirt and Greg to his mill, uh, where Greg, again, leaves a candy trail to the mill. The woodsman is, like, just talking to them and everything. Uh, Wirt starts to get this thing that maybe he's a little mad, a little crazy and everything, and asks him what he does, because he says he has to go out and do his job. And he responds with, everyone has a torch to burn. Mm-hmm which will become a pretty important quote throughout the show. Which if um, anyone, if you ever ask anyone what they do for work and they're evasive <laughs> about it, you should probably get out because... Get out of there. Especially if you're already coming up with escape plans, like then you, that's a double red flag. Yeah, I mean, like, this guy's carrying an axe, just kind of scaring children in the middle of the woods, yelling about a beast, and then says he has a torch to burn? I, I get out of yeah. there. So then he tells the children what he does, and he burns Adelwood trees to make oil to keep his lantern lit. Mm-hmm. That's all we know. Is uh, And I don't know, I'm not a uh, science person, is Adelwood a real type of tree, or is this a made-up thing? I have no clue. I have cool. no clue. I don't know. We can look it up right now. Yeah. I mean, I could see it being like, I could see it being a real tree, but I could also just see it being like a fantasy thing. It seems to be fictional. It's a good name. I it love is. it. So yeah, and then Wirt tells Greg that they have to escape and that they should, their, his huge plan is he should knock the woodsman out, Greg should, and then he quickly changes his mind and says it's a bad plan. The woodsman hears them talk about escaping plans, and I think this is one of the things where we're starting to get, like, suspense. I mean, it was you were already saying, like, he says a torch to burn, and then you think he's going to, like, freak out at me. He's like, eh, you can leave if you want, but yeah. there's a beast out there. Yeah. Um, and then he starts singing when he leaves uh, to go to work, and he says he will help guide them after he gets back. And then work kind of just wonders, is there a beast? Is, is the woodsman making this all up? And uh, then we get one of my other favorite running jokes in the show, which I think we only get it once in this part, is Greg's rock facts. Yes. <laughs> Pulls out the most adorable thing I've ever seen, a rock with like a little face on it. And it he has says a little his, uh, a hago face. It has the tongue out, the eyes crossed. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> That's definitely what they were going for. And then he, uh, so yeah, he pulls out a rock with a painted face on it. And uh, then Greg leaves the house to go look for his frog. Oh, sorry. Well, hold on. Before work, I think work tells Greg to go play with his frog, and Greg looks yeah. around. The frog is gone. And my first favorite Greg line: "Oh, beans! Where is that frog of mine?" I forgot to write about beans. Yes, uh, that's also one of the things that I think takes me into like the whole fantasy thing of like we don't say beans nowadays. Like you would no. think it's like an old fantasy kind of thing. And saying frog of mine, like. Even though it's oh, just, yeah. even just, it, even though it's just Greg being a weird kid who absorbs weird things. But as you're about to mention, he is now calling the frog Kitty, which I love. Yes, oh, I love it. The frog's going to go through a lot of names. He definitely does. And then he's basically going out looking for Kitty everywhere, and he looks into see the woodsman who is uh, taking sticks, putting them into like a 
what do you call it? Like a crusher? It's a grist mill. Oh, yeah. A mill, and then he's, like, shoving more sticks down and everything. And it's making this black oil that he collects in boxes. And then he falls into a barrel where we find Kitty. Hey. Yay. And then we get a scary wolf beast with glowing eyes <laughs> attacks them. Yes. And then, so, like, I, um, we didn't really talk about this, but I always thought this was a kid show. Something like Gravity Falls and everything. And it's not, really. I mean, I think it's more meant for, like, tweens than, like, little, little kids. Gravity Falls could skew a little bit younger, but this has some spooky moments, like I said. Yeah, I mean, we'll, um, we'll get more into those and everything, especially in the second episode. But I think this is pretty, not now, but I would say for, like, a like a 12-year-old, this would be pretty scary to see this huge wolf come, like, crying, yeah. rolling down everything. And here's where I first noted that, like, oh, I can really feel the adventure time in this, because this feels like some of the... Not like this is much more horror skewed than Adventure Time, but Adventure Time yes. had those episodes where it was like, okay, now we're going to get real dark and weird and scary with it. Uh, the Lich is the one that always comes to my mind. Yeah. Uh, Ron Perlman. Oh, that voice. So the wolf breaks into the house, and Greg, of course, because he listened to his brother, knocks out the woodspin right away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, so, and then the wolf comes out, and the Greg, Greg starts to take, I think it's a piece of log of wood, starts to spank the wolf. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. Uh, <laughs> I wonder where that, where that behavior was learned from. Maybe things are not all great in that house. We don't meet their parents. That's a, that's a good... No, we don't. It, Robert De Niro is not there, nor Ben Stiller. <laughs> uh, no, no. <laughs> I was thinking more like, um, who's the woman who with the uh, no more wire hangers? Oh, uh, the mommy dearest, uh, Joan. Yeah. Joan Crawford? I think so. I've never seen that film. I haven't. Um, I, I just remember that line. Um, I get mommy dearest mixed up with what's the uh, the uh, John Waters film that sounds like that? Female Trouble? I think that might be what it was. Or yeah. Serial Mom. Serial Mom. Uh, okay, so then the wolf breaks in the house, Greg knocks out the woodsman, and Greg starts to spank the wolf, and they discover that the beast likes Greg's candy, mm-hmm. which is what led him to the mill, which we get, uh, Wirt freaks out on him, says he's always messing up, why can't he be more like, he didn't say it, but it's more like, why can't he be more like Wirt? Wirt's in his teens, I think, um, and it, it, like, again, it's... It, it's hard to deal with children at any age if you're not a child person. So I can only imagine the stress of being lost, being attacked by a wolf monster. We're going to find out he's heartbroken. He's dealing with a lot, and he's a child, too. So he it's yeah. he's going to freak out. He's going to lose a little bit. He is, uh, throughout the series, generally very good to Greg. He is, yeah. I mean, we get a little bit of... I mean, later in the show and everything, but uh, but yeah, for the most part, he's he's a he's a good brother. He's a little well, not demonic, but what do you say? Uh, like he got demons in his head. Yeah, he he thinks too much for his own good. No, Wirt was in Vietnam and he just brought a lot back with him. He's just <laughs> <laughs> along with the Agent Orange poisoning. Uh, Wirt's actually an eighty-year-old. He's just really short. <laughs> He has Benjamin Button disease. So when he was in Vietnam, he was like, uh, he looked like he was 76. <laughs> Definitely. 
<laughs> so they climb to the roof, and uh, Work tells Greg to give him his last piece of candy. Greg does one of the cutest things I've ever seen, goes in his pockets, pulls out his pockets, he's like, aww, and grabs a piece of candy, and we see our first resemblance of Greg's brilliance. And he throws that piece of candy right off the roof, and the wolf dives for it, and goes right into the, gets grounded up by the mill and everything, and we see a black turtle, or as Greg says, turt, come pu- puking out of the mouth, and the wolf turns into a dog. Aww. And it's a cute dog. One thing I, I, I want to note is I love the balance between Wirt's extreme groundedness and Greg's sort of a little bit lol random ways and personality. Like, it's it's a perfect mixture. Like, it never skews too far to one side for me. It's like, Wirt's there to sort of bring everything down. Greg's there to make you laugh and the world is there to make you, to like draw you in, make you curious and all that. It's, it's a wonderful balancing act. It is. I mean, like I love their, just their dichotomy throughout the whole show. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that's really what sells me on the show because if you didn't have that amazing relationship and everything, the whole show I think would fall apart. Oh, absolutely. So yeah, and then I love how, like, uh, Greg, I mean, throughout this whole episode, you're supposed to be like, oh, well, Greg's just, you know, he's a little guy who lacks around, he doesn't really know what he's doing, and then he basically saves the entire day. Yeah. Uh, I know when I was eight, I would not have thought that smart to throw a piece of candy off the roof to, and everything. Probably not. I, I probably would have uh, shit myself to death, because I was... Uh, <laughs> That's what I was going to say. <laughs> I, I was an extreme scaredy cat as a child. Oh, I was going to say, I'll bring up a theory I know about the show that doesn't spoil anything that I don't like and see how you feel about it. There's a theory throughout the show that Greg has been to the unknown already. And that's why he know why he's not scared by anything in it as an eight-year-old. And that's why he's able to help work get through basically everything. Yeah. And I was like, "Mm, okay, but I I don't like it that much. I think it's more just his innocence is what just helps innocence and just being a dumb baby and like uh, yeah no i i don't know that the show is improved like i i don't know that there's any evidence to that theory in the show because greg definitely feels like a character would be like oh yeah i know that guy uh if he has very true like uh, a wolf monster or something like uh, greg tends to make friends wherever he goes like i think there would be evidence to that I, i it's People can have whatever theories they want. I, it doesn't improve, and I don't really see it. But we think that Wirt and Greg have solved the beast problem. So as you say, yeah. So the woodsman comes out, laments his mill is being destroyed, and a source of oil for his lantern is. And I mean, I we get more about the woodsman later, but I feel so bad for this dude. I mean, he's creepy. Don't get me wrong, but he just got his entire mill blown up. Yeah. But my my more th- my thing is more again they're brilliant so many of these episodes end in great inversions of what we think is going to happen but what we find out is like Wirt and Greg didn't solve anything the dog oh, yeah. monster was sort of just incidental so really all they did was uh, ruin this man yeah just completely like they saved their own lives but really they just destroyed an old man like destroyed the thing that keeps him going destroyed the thing that seems to be his uh crazy fixation it's a great 
turn where it's like, oh no, they're not the heroes. They're just sort of kids. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Uh, the subversion of expectations is, or, or yeah, is just amazing. Uh, but yeah, so the woodsman, like you said, tells Wart and Greg, the beast was not the dog and the beast is still out there. And we get a new nickname for the beast, which is the death of hope. Mm. I love that. I was That's like, great. Oh, um, and then Wirt yells at Greg for messing up. But again, a subversion is he's disciplined by the woodsman saying as the eldest child, he holds the responsibility of blame. Yep. Which we start to get, which probably doesn't, Wirt's already a pretty messed up kid. That probably doesn't help. <laughs> no. And again, it's more stress and blame. And also Wirt's a child as well. Like, um, yeah. I mean, I get what the woodsman's saying, but also he grinds sticks all day. So what does he know? This is very true. Uh, the woodsman uh, is still nice and tells him to go to north to a town. This is a quote I wrote here. He said, beware of the unknown, fear the beast, and leave these woods if you can. <laughs> uh, and also, it is your burden to bear. So we get that quote of burden to bear again. Mm-hmm. And he also another makes me love the woodsman even more. As he tells Greg to look after Frog, give him a proper name. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and then Greg, we have a new name, and now it's Wirt. But not Wirt our character, but Wirt the Frog. Wirt the Frog, and Wirt will now be Kitty. Wirt will now be Kitty. Uh, Wirt's going to call Greg Candy Pants, and Greg is <laughs> Greg is super excited about that prospect. And that ends episode one. It does. What did you think of episode one? I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it more than the first time, but... Uh, but we are, I think episode two is my favorite of the series, and I'm excited to get to that. Uh, yeah, I completely agree. Um, when I first watched it, I loved the style of the show. That's the one thing that sold me right away, art style. The character and the acting was great. But like I said, I, was, I wasn't I was going to give up on it, but it was kind of like, um, I watched like Peacemaker. I watched two episodes of that. I was like, I like where it's going, and then I never followed it. Yeah. And I was scared that was going to happen until my friend told me, oh, you got to watch the second episode, and then... Like we said, the second episode is it just sells me. Uh, but this time, I love this episode way more. Oh yeah, this also this show is maybe my favorite show to for a rewatch because there are so many things to pick up. Oh yeah, now that you know where the story's going and everything, uh, I'll talk a little bit about the Dante thing I was telling you about. So. There's a theory, uh, I kind of agree with it, and I kind of thought of it, but then I looked more into it and stuff, that basically what they're going through is purgatory or hell. Um, I like the purgatory idea a lot, and I'll talk way more about that when we get to episode 10. The, for the Inferno, basically the theory is each level is a level of hell that yeah. they're going through. And then the beast who will meet is the Satan character. And Wirt is uh, Dante, who is being guided throughout this whole thing by the Virgil poet or by the poet Virgil and everything. And basically each level. So like the episode we just got to is the entrance. Cause that's what happens in the beginning. The entrance, this first level of hell is called limbo. Mm-hmm. And then I'll talk, I'm just going to say the level and then I'll say what I think about the end after we get through the episode. Sounds good. All right, cool. Second episode or second chapter. I'm sorry. It's called hard times at the Huskin bees. Mm-hmm. This episode reminds me so much of you, Brad. That's why I knew it was your favorite episode. Like, I know you love, like, cult, like, that kind of stuff, so I thought yeah. that already. But just, I could definitely see you. Like, we just hang out. You're like, ah, oh, you just got a hard time at the Huskin' Bee. 
So we get beginning of Into the Unknown again, our theme song, and the only one of the few things I don't like about the show is that we don't get that beautiful song every time. No, that is a crying shame. Like I would love to hear it every time. But we do get beautiful intro music. Oh um, yeah, it introduces us to beautiful fall imagery. And this is peak fall. That's another reason why I love it. This is mm-hmm. a peak fall episode. Greg and Wirt are rambling through uh, some woods, but seem to be differentish woods. Yep. Uh, and they find a sign saying Pottsfield is only one mile. Yep. And then I don't know if you made this connection or not, but Pottsfield was a thing in, I don't know what era it was, but it was basically after, it would be a whole grave, right? Or something? Yeah, uh, well, it, it's sort of a contraction of Potter's Field, which is where they would bury like unclaimed dead or like transients. Uh, people too poor to afford cemetery plots, I guess. So then we see the bluebird from before, and uh, she's stuck, and Greg helps her free, so now she owes them a favor. Which Greg confuses for a wish, and he, he keeps, does. And Beatrice keeps being like, no. It's a favor. Uh, so her favor is that she offers to bring them to Adelaide of the Pasture, the mm. good woman of the woods. Um, who can help them get home, which is what we want. The Bluebird also reveals her name is Beatrice, and Greg's frog's name is now Bert Jr. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So Beatrice, this name reminded me of a lot, and it wasn't until I was looking more into the thing. When Dante goes through Purgatory, he is guided by Beatrice. Oh, really? That's another thing where I was like, okay, this is connecting a lot more now and everything. That's very solid evidence, I think. And Beatrice is his love. So, like, which not where is in love with Beatrice or anything, but, like... They have a rapport. They're going to develop a rapport. They are, yeah. But then we have Sarah, who will come in later and stuff. And mm. I think that's more uh, the stand and stuff. So, uh, we get one of my favorite Greg moments. He just steps onto a pumpkin. And he's like, yep. now nah, I got a pumpkin on my foot. <laughs> yep. One of the things I wrote here is the humor is elite in this show as a joke. But, like, so you know Rick and Morty fans, right? What's that? So, you know, like, Rick and Morty fans are like, you have to have <clears throat> 100 million IQ to... Yeah. I was like, I think it would be so funny if the people of Over the Garden Wall acted like that. It's like, <laughs> you have to have 100 IQ to understand the Greg stepping on a pumpkin joke. <laughs> <laughs> um, so then we're fine. They get to the town of uh, Pottsfield, and it's basically abandoned. Mm-hmm. But they hear some hoedown music. They do. We got the hoedown throwdown. <laughs> and they discover a barn of pumpkin people who are celebrating the harvest. And by pumpkin people, they're sort of like snowmen, but pumpkins. Like they have pumpkin torso, pumpkin head, pumpkin legs, sort of. And they're just having a good old harvest festival. They're dancing around. Some uh, jaunty rustic music is playing. Um, I've like I love the soundtrack. The soundtrack is amazing, but there there's a name for this track, and it's just phenomenal. Um, it's like Pottstown FM or so, or something like that, and everything. <laughs> but it's so good. But yeah, so uh, they reveal that they are now that they're actually wearing costumes, which gives us our cult like element to this episode. I think. Yeah, even like again, just the this visual of these pumpkin people dancing around is great and then we get the further wrinkle that like no it's we're we're wearing costumes of course pumpkins can't dance around <laughs> yeah oh, it's so good says i love these pumpkin people and given the choice i would definitely spend at least a few years in Pottsfield, just like 
Grand, we're going to find out they're not pumpkin. Obviously, they're in costumes. They're not pumpkin people all the time. But I would, if they were, I would definitely, like, live in that weird village. I wouldn't participate, but I would love all my pumpkin people neighbors. They seem like the best people. They seem super nice. I would definitely hang out with them. I would much rather be with them than at college right now. (laughs) (laughs) So Beatrice reveals again that she has to stay to help the children because the bluebird rules. Very legitimate. And uh, one of my other, one of my favorite work quotes is he's like, I'm going to try to figure out like whatever we're supposed to do. Uh, Greg, you go do Greg things. And then Beatrice, you can leave. (laughs) (laughs) So we're discovering the pumpkin woman. And we get our first little, this, the suspense of this episode is fantastic. Yeah. And we get our first little hints where she says he is too early and folks don't tend to pass through Pottsfield. Yeah. Oh, it gives Uh, me that. (laughs) Yeah. But also I want to point out that Wirt is sort of a mag, like every lady he encounters, he sparks with a little bit. He does. Um, and like this, this uh, pumpkin girl, he seems to be uh, kind of into her. Grandy's a hormonal teenager who just is like had his heart broken, but uh, not even broken. He broke it himself, sort of. He definitely did. <laughs> yeah, no, I just want to point that out. That Wirt is—he's never creepy or aggressive, but sort of like a little bit of a Elijah Wood gets this little bit of like a flirty tone in yeah. his acting, which is wonderful. It's oh, it's perfect, and I mean, Wirt is great, but Wirt gets in his own way. Oh yeah, with, with ladies. Um, and when we get into Sarah, oh god, yeah, absolutely. So Wirt uh, mentions that he wants to leave Pottsfield, and the whole demeanor shifts from this whole barn. I love how it's. I love how it's like he says this to one person. All of them hear it. Yeah, <laughs> they're all. I don't know. I guess the guy with like who can't hear well puts up the horn to his thing, and he's like, "What? Why'd you say he wants to leave Pottsfield?" Um, and then we get one of my all-time favorite characters in the whole show. Oh, yeah, definitely. Enoch. Enoch, the pumpkin god. <laughs> Leave Pottsfield. And he's voiced by Chris Isaac. Chris Isaac. Um, uh, sounding like Hades from Hades Town. Chris Isaac is like a sort of a country western singer. He's done some acting. He was in Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me. That's where I've seen him. Yeah. Agent uh, Chet Desmond. He's, and he's great in, in that too. He is. He's. I. I didn't like his acting the first time I saw it, but it's grown on me. He's also in the John Waters film "A Dirty Shame." I haven't seen that one. Oh, the only Chris Isaac song I knew was "Wicked Game." He also has uh, "I Did a Bad Bad Thing." Uh, is that him? I'm pretty yeah. sure that's him. Interesting. But he is, he's amazing in this. He's absolutely phenomenal. And we get to hear him sing a bit because... We do. We're in Greg, like he sees that they have stepped in pumpkins. They've trampled their... He's like, oh, you trample our crops. You ruin our husking bee. You, uh, uh, I know what I... And Enoch has a big pumpkin head and mm-hmm. sort of like weird ribbon body weird like i guess it's like corn husks like long corn husk like body that's like different separate strands looks super wicker manny yes there you go it's a one like he looks imposing and scary and he has this deep voice and he's like i know what we'll do with you a couple hours of hard labor 
of manual labor. Of manual labor. It's oh, it's so good. I also this is where I was sold completely by the show. This is where I was like, nope, I don't care what even happens now. This is like my favorite thing ever, just because of this. Yeah. I loved it. Again, we're getting that inversion where it's like, oh, he's not gonna. He's just giving him some community service. And Chris Isaac sings the song that we hear as Wirt and Greg work. And this is another fantastic song. Patient is the night. Mm-hmm. Did you have anything to say on the song or? No, just that I enjoyed it. Like I enjoy pretty much all the songs. And there's, Me too. One, there's one that I don't enjoy that I think will be a controversial opinion. Ooh. Oh, I know what it is going to be. Is, is it potatoes and molasses? Yeah. It's oh. potatoes and molasses. I don't agree, but we'll get there. <laughs> uh, Greg comes across a skeleton in the holes they are digging. <laughs> he says he found he found buried treasure. <laughs> he steps out of the way, and it's a skeleton. Meanwhile, Beatrice has been telling them, to, like saying, "Like we got to leave, we got to escape." And after seeing the skeleton, Wirt is finally on board with, "Like, okay, let's let's we need to get out of here." Yeah, he comes to the realization that they're digging their own graves, and that all the pumpkin people are there, and Beatrice tells him to buy time. So he says, well, we got to get rid of the rocks. <laughs> and the pumpkin people are like, yeah, well, the rocks, you got to get rid of those. So good diversion on work. And then basically, Greg and Beatrice run away. <laughs> and uh, work, work notices and eventually scurries off himself. After, well, the reason why he runs away is because the skeleton that was in the hole gets up and comes out and, yep, he's very happy to be uh, walking around without any muscle. Um, It's awesome. It's great. It's great. And all the pumpkin people are so happy to see this skeleton man that they all crowd around him, letting work escape. Again, the inversion is like, oh, they're good. Oh no, they're not good. Oh wait, they're just skeleton people. Friend- <laughs> very friendly, reasonable skeleton people. And we don't see good skeleton representation and cin- of of peaceful skeleton representation in cinema today. Not as much as we should. Not as much <laughs> as we should in 2022. But we don't leave the episode off without suspense, and because Enoch looks at Wirt and says, "Do you want to join us?" Which basically means, do you want to die? Yeah. And Wirt's like, not today. And then Enoch says, Wirt will join them someday anyways. (laughs) I mean, we all will. We all will, yeah. That'd be a pretty good afterlife, just like having hoedowns and like putting on pumpkins every so often. Yeah, listen to Chris Isaac. I'm down. So Wirt finds out that his lock is picked, runs away. And then Beatrice again says she will bring them to Adelaide. Because she is also trying to get home. Mm-hmm. And we leave off on maybe one of my favorite shots in the entire series. It's the three of them walking into the woods. Yeah. I don't know if you remember. I think it's actually the cover of the Blu-ray and everything. But it's like, <clears throat> it has the yellow sunlight and then all the nice, beautiful autumnal leaves. And it's just them walk. Oh, I love it so much. And then our last shot, and I want to ask you about this, is the leaf blows by it gets stuck in the fence and there's ominous music playing and i never understood the shot i don't i'm not really sure either it it just could be this idea that passage won't be easy that they're going to get Mm -hmm. stuck yeah i'm not sure it's interesting uh so what do you think of the episode 
or the oh, chapter. Wait, wait. Again, it's my favorite. It's my favorite of the series. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. One of my one of the best, in my opinion. I absolutely love it. Um, so I'll talk really quickly about what I think Limbo. The whole thing about them dying and they're I mean they're stuck in Limbo because they're like they can't go anywhere. They're skeletons and they can't leave this and everything. So I think that's a pretty good representation of that. But the, also the thing that's interesting is there's someone in Limbo. I don't remember their name, but it's like this demon guy who has snake and tentacles for their arms. And he's like eight, uh, 18 feet high. I'm like, Enoch, you said, has the streamers. Mm-hmm. And I think that could be the whole tentacles and the snakes and everything. Yeah. Yeah, and I think this episode does is resemble Limbo, you know? Like, mm-hmm. there's nothing there. So, all right. Ready to move on? Absolutely. Chapter three, School Town Follies. <laughs> another, another very rustic sort of name. Just the word Follies... This was this was not one of my favorites. I loved it so much more on this rewatch. I liked it more than I have in the past. Still not. It's in the lower tier for me, but I do I, I enjoy it more. Yes. Uh, and then this circle is lust. Gotcha. And following that, we start out with. Uh, I wonder if you're not gonna like. If, I know you don't like Pia's Molasses. Do you like Adelaide Parade? It's fine. It's it's more jokey, like, and it's supposed to be annoying, kind mm-hmm. of. Yeah, I don't mind it. It's not something I would like listen to regularly, but it, in the show, I, I like I like it. I think it's cheery. I think it just resembles Greg very well. Oh yeah, and I and, like just that's something a child would sing, like because just a lot of how can I rhyme this word. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and I love Greg's little quote of, uh, so Beatrice, you sing the high part, and Wirt, you sing the really high part. And then Wirt's yeah. like, oh. <laughs> and then we get our little theme lesson of this episode. Wirt is always doing what he's told. I want to say I, theme. Moral? I don't, it's sort of like more running gag, I think. Just like where Wirt is going to do... Because Beatrice says, like, you always do what you're told, Wirt will continue to do what he's told just despite Beatrice and sort of, like, annoy her and try to, I don't know, I guess prove her wrong by proving her right. But yeah, no, uh, Beatrice says that to Wirt, and that's going to be his driving motivation for what he does throughout most of the episode. Yes, uh, it calls him a pathetic pushover. Yeah. Um, super nice lady. <laughs> uh, yeah. And she also tells Greg to be more like her, uh, or yeah, be more like her brother and just always do what he's told and try to make the world a better place. So Greg wanders off to go do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, he comes across a schoolhouse. It's another one of my favorite Greg moments. He comes across school. He's like, not school. I'm going to go. <laughs> We're in Beatrice instead. Do enter the schoolhouse and we're introduced to Miss Langtree. Mm. I, I, I have a little crush on Miss Langtree's voice. Yeah. She has this very old-time, old-timey uh, lilt to her voice. She's voiced by Janet Klein, who I don't know anything about, but she has... I didn't even write it down because I didn't know her, but yeah. yeah. All right, so yeah, and then we're uh, Beatrice, and then Wirt, the teacher tells him to sit down for class, and because Wirt is going to do everything he's told in this thing, he sits down for class. <laughs> Also, all the students in this school are animals. Animals, yes. In clothes. I love this song. This is uh, one of my friends, the one who told me to watch the show, hates this song. Oh, I enjoy it. 
I do too. I love it on the soundtrack because it do, it goes it doesn't stop, so it oh, just really? goes all through the alphabet. Yeah, so I recommend if you like it to listen to the whole thing because I mean, there's ones that we miss and we overhear because they're talking and stuff. So yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll have to check that out because I do enjoy this song. Again, it's very old timey. It's just perfect. So she sings a lament about her love, Jimmy Brown, who left her. And she also reveals that her father wants to close the school and that there's a grill on the loose. Yes. <laughs> Just throw that last bit in. Yep, the grill has been terrorizing the area. Yes. So we get to Langtree's Lament. I'm assuming this is the 1900s inspiration for Black Alicious's alphabet aerobics. Sure. <laughs> So yeah, I, I love little like songs that like will either use numbers or like the alphabet to sing and like A is for da da da. I think I think it's cute. Yeah, and fun. I uh, has that like nineteen tens feel and everything. Is that about the time or are we more talking? Sort about, of. Like, uh, maybe a little bit earlier. Late eighteen hundreds, maybe. Late eighteen hundreds, like uh, early nineteen hundreds. Maybe even up to the 30s, uh, depending on... Because this is, again, sort of rural, sort of rustic. I can see it, yeah. Uh, so Wirt is sent to the dunce box, because he's talking mm-hmm. during her song. Again, with the dunce cap, which he obeys. Mm-hmm. And Greg, instead, he's just hanging out with some animals, skipping class. Yep, these animals apparently don't have to go to school for whatever reason. and Or maybe they're juvenile delinquent animals playing hooky. And he wants to play in the game I want to play now, Two Old Cat. Two Old Cat, uh, which <laughs> sounds like uh, you have a cat that's very, that's just too old, but that's mm-hmm. wrong. You have two old cats, and it is possible for an old cat to be too old. So Greg finds the gorilla. Yes. This kind of comes out of nowhere. <laughs> And this is a, a very, we're going to find out partly the reason behind this, a very stylized looking gorilla that fits with the animation style, but is also a little bit jankier, a little bit more in line with how the demon dog looked in the first episode. That's sort of like a little bit of a, a horror on it. Yeah, I definitely don't think it's like as scary as the demon dog, but definitely, I mean, it has that same kind of animation style as, uh, as what we get from that. So Langtree, uh, we come back to Langtree. She is now passed out on the floor, lamenting about her lost love, Jimmy Brown. And then we get the, one of my favorite parts of this entire episode is the jazz chase scene. Yeah. Uh, which is very Scooby-Doo-esque of them running around this tree and everything with this amazing jazz music popping and everything. So then everyone goes to mealtime where everyone's back together. And then we get the potatoes are bland and no one's having a good time. Mm-hmm. And, and Greg has decided to come in for lunch because that's the part of school he likes. Um, so he's there and he knows just what to do about these bland potatoes. Well, I, I have to connect this to you. They got to go about Paddington too. Yeah. yeah. I, I thought that right away when I watched it this time. I was like, yeah. Sort of. All the bland food. and Yeah, I can see it. So like you said, Greg knows exactly what he needs to do. He gets Langtree to play some nice, fun swing music. Mm-hmm. Uh, which which he, <laughs> he demonstrates what he wants by just banging on the piano tunelessly. And she's like, And she's like, uh, so something like this? And he's like, close enough. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then he decides to take some nice molasses and pour it on everyone's potatoes. And which he makes... sings a song about it. And he sings potatoes and molasses. Which has uh, never he... done it for me. I, I know that it's a fan favorite. It's I, fair. I, I don't. It just doesn't work. Like, it's fine. But compared to the rest of the music in this, it's not anything special. I agree. I mean, it is like I wrote here a symbol of the show. It's just one of the things everyone talks about. And when you compare it to Into the Unknown, the opening song, the uh, what's the Chris Isaac song? Patient, Patient is the night, the night, or Over the Garden Wall, which we won't get to in this one, but the one with the frog sings. Then I don't think it even holds a contest. I mean, it's not that good and everything. But I think this song, more than like I Always Remember, I think just shows Greg's innocence. Oh yeah, yeah, because this sounds disgusting. This oh my god, yeah. Uh, he's just like, oh, molasses is sweet. And this is another thing where it's like, the show is still sort of stringing us along. Molasses is such an old-timey thing. And like again, all the, all the animals are dressed sort of like in this Depression-era dust bowl. Like, there's a raccoon, some denim overalls, and a driver's cap. Like, <laughs> it feels... It, it all feels like it's not out of time, and Again, they're just rolling with it for the most part at this point. But yeah, and I also wrote, I think this song just makes me happy to listen to. Yeah, sure. Like I, right. I, it's. I feel like for fans, it's a handy shorthand where if you say to someone "potatoes and molasses," they're either going to know what you mean or they're not going to know what you mean. And that this is a uh, good point too. You know? That's a handy thing among fans. Of course, yeah. Probably your favorite character in the show, Mister Langtree, enters because he ruins potatoes <laughs> and molasses. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> But yeah, no, Mr. Langtree enters and ruins the song. What, what does he say? Like, he, Greg's singing. He's like, that's enough. And everything. Yeah. And Mr. Langtree is an old man with a huge coat. Yes. And he takes all of the instruments away from the children and sends them all to bed. Greg makes a blanket chain, probably from his time in Guantanamo. He probably learned how to make a blanket chain. <laughs> to be able to get out so he makes a blanket chain escapes from the prison or not prison the school yeah. um i mean school is prison is sometimes we, we agree on that point yeah. <laughs> and then it should be homeschooled absolutely why am i in college <laughs> they uh they discover mr langtree is lamenting about how he did everything for the school and how he has to sell the instruments to keep the school open and we also hear him curse Jimmy Brown and that damned gorilla as well. I, I Here's another great inversion where we assume that the animals in the school are like Disney animals, like they're magic. Even though we never hear them talk, we assume that like, okay, they're, they're more than just regular animals. Here it's heavily implied that they're just regular animals that he is trying to like <laughs> teach. Like, not even, like, not train, but, like, impart facts to, which is great. I love that. Oh, my God, yeah. Uh, I also love that, like, you talk about subversion of, like, we think he's this huge guy and everything. And, nope, that coat is just almost made of all of his weight and everything. And he's this very skinny, <laughs> impoverished man. And he, he takes out, uh, is it a, it's a, it's a trumpet, right? I think so. He takes out a trumpet, extends the trumpet, and puts his coat over, and he sleeps. And trombone. Trombone, that's what I meant. 
yeah. And he uh, sleeps in his little little coat. And then we get Greg, who's Wurt and Greg, and I think Beatrice is there, are all watching him. And then Wurt is, and Greg says something like, uh, wait till he falls asleep, and then we're going to steal from him. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they do. Mr. Langtree wakes up with all his instruments gone. Yes, and they were stolen by Greg, and he hears this beautiful, he has this music, and he sees that Greg made a benefit concert for the school. <laughs> Everyone's having a wonderful time. And another great uh, inversion is we, uh, Greg does not steal out of malice or out of, mm-hmm. like, spite. It's to throw this concert to help the school and help the man, uh, like uh, all thieves do. All thieves steal to help the people they're stealing from. <laughs> Absolutely. Rob Act. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, and then the gorilla attacks the benefit concert. Mm-hmm. Damn, the gorilla is back. And uh, Wirt, who, oh, we forgot to mention that his shoe has been untied this entire time because every time he bends down to tie his shoe, Beatrice tells him to catch up. Yes. And everything. So he trips on his shoelace and he bangs right into the gorilla. And it's revealed that it's. Jimmy Brown! Oh, yeah, he was in a gorilla suit the entire time. Did you uh, pick up on who's voicing Jimmy Brown? Uh, Thomas Lennon, the fantastic Tom Lennon, probably best known from Reno 911 as Lieutenant Jim Dangle. He has been in a ton of things, cameos. He's Him and his uh, writing partner have actually written a ton of movies that you've probably seen. Fun little cameo. I love his voice in this. Oh, it's great. He's perfect for this old-timey sort of a little bit of a huckster vibe, a little bit of a a straw boater wearing dandy. Very much. Um, So, yeah, and then uh, we find out that Jimmy, he got a job in the circus, and he got stuck in the suit. Of course he did. And everyone was scared of him because he's a big gorilla, and no one's going to help him. So he's been stuck in the entire time. And we get another one of my favorite quotes is the uh, Mr. Langtree looks and he says, I guess the world is truly as sweet as potatoes and molasses. And, and we get a, it was a molasses reprise. And, yep. And uh, Beatrice finally lets work tie his shoe. Yes, that is that was a nice little circular and everything for this episode and everything. And Beatrice also admits that he's not a pushover or anything. Yeah. What do you think of this episode? I, I, it's not one of my favorite. Like I said, it's lower tier, but I still enjoyed it, and I enjoyed it more on this watch. Um, The voice acting is great. I love the old timey vibe, and just again, I this is a show that is has a lot of niceness in it, despite being spooky. Like Greg steals the instruments to help out. The man wants to teach animals for whatever reason. And, uh, yeah, no, it's, I, I like the episodes that sort of highlight that in the show and we're going to get a similar one, a similar niceness vibe throughout a lot of the next episode as well. Uh, yeah, very much. What about you? what do you think of this one? I very much agree with you. I wrote here, I love this episode, but not as good as the previous two, but it's really sweet. It is as sweet as potatoes and molasses. I can't say it any better than that. <laughs> and then, so this is for me the episode that really not solidify, but makes the most sense. If we're talking about the the whole circles of hell with lust 
I mean, this whole episode is Mrs. Langtree was lusting after her Jimmy Brown who left her and stuff. So, yeah, I think that one works, you know, I can see it. Chapter four. And this, uh, this might be my favorite episode of the entire series. It's, uh, it's really, uh, really close for me. Songs of the Dark Lantern. Mm hmm. Again, with the whole old timey feel. Yes, and this is going to have, like, each, the the last two episodes have seemed to have taken place in their own sort of distinct time period where we talked about, like, and it's always very amorphous, but this one feels more like uh, London, late 1800s, sort of like a, a more of a British countryside tavern that you sort of wander into. Um, even though no one there is British, but it feel, feels very, I just sort of got that vibe. Absolutely. No, I completely agree with that. Um, the sin that this one connects to is, or not the sin, but the circle of hell is gluttony. Okay. So, okay. So we open up with our woodsman who's back. Yes. He sees a turtle <clears throat> on an Adelwood tree. And then we see Wirt and Greg are in a, in a wagon with a crazy man uh, fleeing from the beast who cannot be seen. Um, and they get thrown off the wagon into a bush. This was very, like, Sleepy Hollow-esque to me. You know, like, on yes. the Headless Horseman, like, when he's, running, he's running back and everything, and you don't see the Headless Horseman or anything. But to uh, already establish your uh, idea of the theme of the circle being gluttony, mm-hmm. it, we start out with Greg being hungry, and he has a duck with him. And he's like, "How do you get eggs from this duck? How did like?" But yeah, they get they get tossed out, and they find a creepy tavern, uh, which Beatrice uh, says, "Why don't we go into it?" And Wirt says, "But but it's creepy. <laughs> Why would I want to go in?" But he also doesn't want to be left out alone, so they all go into the tavern, and they're being watched by the woodsman. Mm-hmm. And I I, we, I love the animation style throughout the show, but. For me, it really pops when we get into the tavern. Very I don't much. know what it is, but it, it's slightly different, and it works so well. I completely agree. Yeah. Uh, and they enter the tavern, and there's a pretty overweight dog sleeping on in front of the door, guarding the door. Um, and then this is one of the connections that, like you said about, like with gluttony and everything, is like I mean, it's a pretty like over not like overweight, you know, kind of lazy dog. Yeah. Laying there, and there's some kind of guard who's like kind of the same thing in that circle of hell and stuff. So I was like, that kind of, I mean, he's a guard dog of sorts, not really guarding much, but you know, yeah. So the tavern keeper keeper kicks Beatrice out right away and says, "No bluebirds in my tavern because they're bad luck." Mm-hmm. And Beatrice says, "No, bluebirds are good luck." And she's like, "I don't want any luck. Get out." <laughs> And then I forget exactly the quote, but it basically, uh, she says something like, she's like, I curse you. Like Beatrice like, I curse you. I curse you and I hope you die and like flies out or something. Yeah. The Tavern Keeper is played by Audrey Wazilewski, which I probably butchered, who uh, has some pretty good, like has a pretty, has a Wikipedia and has something, nothing that oh, jumped yeah. out except she plays Alpha RV Officer in Everything Everywhere All at Once. Okay. Cool. I don't remember who that is. I think it's one I of the guards. No clue. But I thought it was cool. Oh, I, I assume it's uh, one of the people in the Prime verse. That's what I was thinking it was. Yeah. yeah. 
But that's pretty cool, I think. She informs them, or she informs Wirt and Greg, now Beatrice is out, that everyone has a personality trait that makes them who they are. Yep. Uh, like, uh, she asks, says, who are you? And they go, I'm Wirt, and he's Greg. And like, no, who are you? And he's like, Wirt and Greg. And he's like, no, that's the butcher, that's the baker, that's... And she's like, what's your job? Everyone has a job. And I love, I love the whole little thing, the animation style of them going through each character and everything. Like when she says, I'm the butcher. And then the butcher goes, I'm the butcher. And everything. It's so good. And then so Wirt says he doesn't know who he is or he doesn't have a label or a job or anything. Explains that he's lost, but he gets cut off by my man, best uh-huh. character in the show. I'm the highway man. <laughs> and <laughs> Yep. I, I love the highway man as well. He He's voiced by Jaron Paxton, who I didn't uh, notice anything else that I, I unfamiliar with him. But he no, his is, nickname is Blind Boy, Jaron yes. Blind Boy Paxton, which was interesting. But he is fantastic in this. The Highwayman is incredible. A lot of the uh, the actors in the show are actually just jazz or folk singers and stuff, yeah. not as much actors and stuff. So, like, this is one. Uh, we're going to talk about the Beast at the end of this. That's uh, played by – he has an interesting Wikipedia, the guy who voices yeah. the Beast. I don't know if you looked into it or not. but I did not. It'll be interesting to talk about. But, yeah, so he says the Highwayman, and Wirt's like, okay, you're the Highwayman. <laughs> and he says it again, saying, I'm the Highwayman. He sings this. It's only 30 seconds, but, oh, my God, I love this song. It's amazing. Um, and then at the very end of it, the animating, like the whole, I don't know, how would you explain it? You know, when he's like, I'm not sure. We know uh, there was old animation in the thirties that kind of did that with like the, and I think that's what it's supposed to emulate. Yeah. And the Tavern Keeper is sort of based on Betty Boop. So that might be a, a sort of a thing. But uh, yeah, no, I mean, I love the Highwayman, love his voice and his song, even though it's only 30 seconds. Uh, I think uh, like we were kind of talking about symbols and everything. I think he's also another symbol for the show. Yeah. Like if you go up to someone and say, I'm the Highwayman, they're either going to know what you're talking about or they're going to be like, you're insane. I can see that. And then so we see Beatrice is outside and she's talking to the horse outside the barn and he hears a tra-la-la-la-la from the woods and everything and uh is this one yeah she he so she sees it's a woodsman and this is one of my favorite beatrice quotes where she's like why is there a woodsman out cutting woods why am i talking to a horse <laughs> <laughs> um so Wirt goes to talk to a very old man in a rocking chair just kind of hanging out by the fire and he and he says i'm looking for adelaide the good woman of the woods do you yeah. know her this is the toy maker he's talking to is it the, okay i didn't know if he had a name or not mm-hmm Voiced by Frank Fairfield, the toy maker is about to sing a song that is one of my favorites, and it, it sounds very old timey. It sounds like it belongs on an Oscar Brand album. Uh, but he, I, I definitely need to check out Frank Fairfield because if he sings like this, I, I love him already. Yeah, no, I mean this is one of the reasons why I love this song so much. There's three songs that are so good in this episode. We're just talking about two of them, then the last one I love these so much mm. too. Cool, I didn't write that one down. Uh, but yeah, so we see, and he tells him he's looking for Adelaide, and the toy maker thinks that he's talking about a girl that he's in love with. And he says, they're all wrong. You're not the, I forget what he says, like, you're not the dumb idiot or something. Yeah, he's like, because they assume, because work didn't know what his profession was, they assumed that he was an idiot. So now they're like, now the toy maker's like, oh, shucks, you're not, 
you're not dumb. You're a, you're a, a boy in love. You're the young lover. Yes. And he sings a courting song. Call it yep. a courting song. And do you want to talk about this one first since it's one of your favorites? I don't really have much to say about it. Like I already said, it sounds like an Oscar brand, uh, sort of one of his uh, less body barroom ballads. Like it, it's just sort of has this old British vaudeville lilt to it. Uh, yeah. If, you, no, I'm... if you've heard songs like that, you know what I mean. If you've ever <laughs> listened to Oscar brand, otherwise you probably have no clue what I'm talking about. Uh, but definitely yeah. check yeah. out according song. It's worth listening to. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. I love that song. Uh, I also love how it stops and everything and like where it yeah. talks and then it goes right back in again. And we're like, Oh God. <laughs> uh, and then Pia- Beatrice decides to go stop talking to the horse and ask the woodsman for help. She flies into the woods. And after the according song, the people all demand a love song from Wirt. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> we get Elijah Wood's bad song, <laughs> which sadly is not on the soundtrack. Oh, that's a shame. It's it's very funny in how work just cannot. Well, of course, he can't just improvise a song and on the spot in this creepy tavern where, again, it's it's very strange. Like we're not affected by it because it's a cartoon and we're watching it, but for to experience this all these weird singing people would be very off-putting so we're absolutely uh blows the song and again (laughs) here's where i think he mentions that greg is actually his half brother uh his mother remarried and got pregnant by his stepfather and so that i i think that's an interesting wrinkle that they're not just brothers they're not like stepbrothers, but they're half brothers. So it's, I don't know. It's, it's a very specific choice. It plays a lot into the whole thing. Like, I think Wirt says, I don't know if it's in these five, so I think it's in the next five, but he says something like, like, you know, and he's always saying you're always screwing up. And he's like, and we're, and Greg always was like, why can't you be more like dad and everything? And it's like, it plays a lot more into their dichotomy and everything with saying that they don't have the same father and everything. Yeah. We don't know what happened to Wirt's dad. I mean, he, he, I don't think we do. He could have died. He could have left. He could have just, he might still know him. We don't know and everything. Yeah. But yeah, uh, I read an interesting fact that when Elijah Wood sang this, Patrick McHale and Colin Dean st- uh, sat right in front of him and made fun of him the entire time <laughs> to give him that whole thing of... Um, but yeah, so the people do not see it as a bad song. They take it to be a metaphor. And instead, he is the pilgrim. Yes. He's the hero of his own story. He's a traveler on a journey. So after he's told he's the pilgrim, he mentions the beast, and everyone gets very scared. Mm-hmm. Um, and we get one of my other favorite songs in the entire series, The Tavern Keeper Sings, The Beast Is Out There. Yes. Which is, the song is scary. And it just is. Like, her voice is chilling. Um, I love it. Yeah. But I think it's another perfect song to explain the entire series. Uh, we also learn a lot about our big bad that we don't really see very much and everything up until we don't see him at all to this point and everything, but we hear about him. And so he explains how the beast looks for lost travelers and how when he finds his victims, who are people that are lost in the woods, he uh, turns them into oil to burn in his lantern. Mm hmm. 
And when Wirt hears about the lantern, it reminds him of the woodsman. But he explains to the people that the, the woodsman's a good guy. He's not the beast. He helped us. And the tavern keeper says, whoever holds the lantern is the beast. Oh, yes. Uh, did you have anything for the beasts out there? I don't know if you want to talk about the song at all. Uh, not particularly. It's a, it's a great song. Just mm-hmm. uh, in a, an episode filled with great songs, it's probably my third favorite. That's very fair. Yeah. So then the tavern keep. Uh, we were, so the people tell him to follow the compass in his heart instead of directions. Another one of my favorite Wirt lines. He says, "You don't need directions. Follow the compass in your heart." And Wirt's like, "No, I need directions." Yeah, that was great. <laughs> and Wirt hears Beatrice scream. Wirt jumps on the horse, which he does not know how to ride. Grabs Greg, which is another one of my favorite parts. He jumps on the horse. I'm like, "Are you not going to take Greg with you?" And then he just swoops Greg up and grabs him. <laughs> and he finds the woodsman with the lan- holding the lantern with Beatrice knocked out next to him. And he comes to the discovery that the woodsman was the beast all along. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Mort saves Beatrice. Uh, like he, he's able to like make it really dark, grabs Beatrice, and he hits the lantern out of the woodsman's hands, uh, which burns up an Adelwood tree that we see and everything. Um, and they run away. Uh, and when they come to, Beatrice reveals that she saw a shadow and then flew into a tree. And that the woodsman didn't actually knock her. And then we get Wirt reveals that the horse knew directions, and he could talk the entire time. And his name was Fred. And he's voiced by Fred Stoller. Who's Gerard from Everybody Loves Raymond. Yes. Uh, That's very the one dis- I know him of. But yeah. Very distinct voice. I love his voice. And he is perfect in this role. Yeah. We'll get more into Fred the Horse next episode. But, like, mm-hmm. I love this episode so much, but this ending... Oh my god, this beast ending. We finally see the beast. And he's pretty uh, He's pretty spooky. He's a spooky man. Uh, completely, you never see him. He's just in black with two beating, glowy little eyes. Uh, and he has the voice. He's voiced by Samuel Ramey, mm-hmm. who is a famous opera singer. Oh, really? Very famous, like, yeah, he has all these credits, and he, he has a bass, an operatic bass, also can do falsetto, so he has an entire vo- like vocal thing and everything, and I mean, I love, because you could have gotten, like, let's say, Willem Dafoe, which is a weird choice, but like, a deep, yeah. someone with a deep, dark voice to play this, but you get someone who's unknown, and this bass operatic singer, oh my god, it's so yeah. good. It's also fantastic. The tra la la laws are so good with him and everything. And the exchange between uh, the woodsman and the beast is just on point. It's very some it's, of my favorite acting. Yeah, it's, it's cryptic. It's uh, it's scary. It's it's wonderfully done. So the beast asks the woodsman to give him the lantern. The the uh, woodsman tells him to be gone and says he will fight him for it for another day. And it is now revealed to us the woodsman's daughter's soul is inso- trapped inside the lantern. And then if the lantern goes out, she will die. And the beast says he's going to go after Greg and Wirt. Uh, and the woodsman tells him to leave the children away. Uh, one of the things that confused me was that if the lantern goes out, so when Wirt hits the lantern out of the woodsman's hand and it goes up in fire, I was like, so why didn't that kill his daughter? But then I think it's because the Adelwood tree catches on fire, so the flame is still there. Yeah, I think as long as the flame is still going... Um, and he can like put oil in it again and everything. So, 
but yeah. So what do you? Th- uh, I think you talked a little bit. What do you think about this episode? Uh, it's it's really great. It's definitely up there. It might be my third or uh, second favorite. The songs are amazing. The anime, like the slight difference in the animation style, is just really makes an impression. No, I, I, I we also uh, this episode gives us a great band name, Banana Nut Duck Bread. Greg, in his hunger, mumbles about early in the episode. I like that. What do you think about this one? Like I said, one of my favorite episodes. I fucking love this episode. Perfect mixture of the music and the darkness. Like, I mean, I would love this episode if it ended right when he gets on the horse. Mm-hmm. But I love that ending with the beast and everything. Um, especially because I think it's a perfect episode to... You kind of talked about it, it was supposed to be 18 episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, which I did a little bit look into. One of the episodes was going to be about a man who takes children and turns their bones into dice. I did read about that. Wow. That's <laughs> That's- I mean, I kind of want to see it, but like... Oh, yeah, definitely. After anti-whispers and everything, I definitely want to see what they were going to do with that. But like, oh my god. But yeah, so I think that I think I could see that there would that there could have been a whole episode on just the beast and the woodsman and everything, and they yeah. combine them. But I think that little thing with the beast at the end is perfect to connect with the song "The Beast Is Out There" and everything. Yeah. And I also think we don't want to get too much about the beast because the whole thing why the beast is so scary is we don't know anything about him. Exactly. And we don't really get that until the end. And we're told different information about the beast, so we're even more, like, uh, sort of unsure and creeped out. We are, yeah. So, I love this episode. So, yeah, the we are trying to talk about, but, yeah, the circle of hell for this one's gluttony. I think it's just a lot with, like you said about the eating in the beginning. A lot of the people in the tavern are gluttons and everything. And it's a big food episode. Yeah. So, I can see it. Um we talked about how Lust was probably the most significant of the ones so far. Episode 5 is Mad Love, or Chapter 5 is Mad Love, and it's Greed. That's oh, yeah. pretty, pretty obvious there. <laughs> yep, and I, I, this is, it's a fine episode. I have absolutely nothing to say about it. We start in media res with uh, Wirt and Greg talking to Quincy Endicott about his tea, played by the great John Cleese. Yep. I think, uh, just quick, Tom, uh, I'm John Cleese, Monty Python, famous comedian. I think he does a great voice performance in this. He usually does. Like, he's just doing his John Cleese thing, but it's, he's good at doing the John Cleese thing. I'm so used to him playing, like, sardonic, sarcastic characters. So to hear him play this, like, pretty mad guy is kind of fun, too. Yeah. And everything. I wrote Endicott is the Elon Musk of Over the Garden Wall. (laughs) A capitalist monster in a nutcase. Uh, so it is revealed that Wirt and Greg play Dear Evan Hansen and have been posing as Endicott's cousins to steal his money. Endicott refuses to drink his tea, and he does not eat anything throughout the whole episode. And then we get Fred the Horse. One of my yep. favorite quotes in the entire series is Wirt says something like, well, Fred Fred can make his own mind up. And Fred's like, I want to steal. Yeah. <laughs> I can't do Fred Stoller's voice, but... <laughs> I want to steal. Um, but that's the only note I have is I love that the horse wants to steal and so good. Uh, that's a running joke throughout the episode is just that the horse is always like up for a smash and grab. 
Uh, so Endicott he acts very nervous throughout the whole episode and downright crazy, and he reveals that he found a part of his mansion that he did not recall building. And when he was down in this part of the mansion, he saw a ghost of a woman in a portrait, and he is absolutely enamored with her. Greg, Endicott, and Fred go off to find this ghost, but Wirt and Beatrice ransack his entire house for money. Because mm-hmm. they need two cents. Two cents, uh, that's it. To, to take the ferry to Adelaide's house, and if you have any uh, any uh, bona fides in mythology, a bell is ringing in your head right now. Where it's yes, like, yes, oh, yes. that's probably not good. And I was like, we kind of talk about the woodsman. We feel bad because they kind of wreck his entire life. Mm-hmm. Um, they do not wreck his entire life. But I kind of feel bad for this old dude. He's like slipping and going mad. And they're just breaking everything in his house. <laughs> and trying to steal <laughs> from him. So Wart and Beatrice hear something. And they think it's Endicott. So they hide back in the armory. But it's just a peacock. Yes. Just knocking on the window. Um, Endicott reveals that he's very afraid that he is going mad and he is insane and he wants to turn around but Greg keeps him going because Greg wants to see that ghost yep he really 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 wants to see a ghost he will do anything to see that ghost so Beatrice reveals to Wirt that she used to be a human and then that's basically it that they talk about that for then and then a peacock breaks into the window while they're in Endicott's little tea, tea room or whatever and Greg refers to it as a fancy chicken. Oh, he does. I forgot about fancy chicken. Um, and Endicott reveals that he's forgotten to feed his peacocks. And the peacocks, I wrote, the peacocks are the true tragic heroes of Over the Garden Wall. Not being able to be fed or anything. Not yeah. a good life. I'd go hang out with Chris Isaac in Pottsfield before I'd be a peacock. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, we also have... My one of my other we talk about Greg like my favorite Greg quotes are the whole series two in this episode one of them is uh, Endicott says perhaps I have lost my mind and Greg goes we can look for that after we find our ghost <laughs> <laughs> I love Greg so Beatrice finds a secret entrance and uh, when she gets in there she explains that when and she was a human she threw a rock at a bluebird and it cursed her family into bluebirds and she was going to Adelaide to switch it back. Mm-hmm. And we get two important notes here that she says she will never go back until she can make them human again. Mm-hmm. And that she would do pretty much anything in the world to, to get them back. Yes. Foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I also love the color palette of this particular shot. Like Beatrice's wings and like the night sky and the cobblestone. I don't know why I wrote that, but I liked it. Oh, it's great. <laughs> it's a great shot. Uh, so Wirt explains that he has, so like she says this huge secret of her. And Wirt's secret is, he had a crush on a girl back home. Mm-hmm. But not only does he have a crush, he also plays the clarinet. <laughs> and whispers poetry to himself. Yes. And he's ashamed of it. Um, and I was Beat- one- Beatrice, yeah. understandably, like, goes like, that's nothing. That's, you, like, that's literally nothing. Yes. And then they get into a new room and work. And then he finds that the new arts, uh, the art styles of the new room clash that new Rococo versus Georgian. Yes. Which I, I love those lines. Uh, Weird's bizarre knowledge of architecture and decoration. And then he's like, is it weird to know that? <laughs> so he enters the room where he first saw or Endicott enters the room where he first saw the ghost and they find evidence of a struggle. And it's revealed that Endicott 
may be mad. And maybe she he killed the lady of the mansion and took over. So he sees the spirit and he faints. And she faints as well. And they and then when they wake up, they see that they're both human. And they say it mm-hmm. is both their home. And she reveals herself as Marguerite Gray. And she's voiced by B.B. Newworth. From Frasier and many other things. Uh, Cheers. She was Lilith on Cheers. I love I love B.B. Newworth. Whenever she shows up, she's fun. Yeah, she's, she's fantastic. And she has a small part in this, but she has some fun. She has a fun accent and everything. Mm-hmm. And... But it turns out that they were both, they're both tea em- uh, emperors. And they're so rich and their houses got so big that they ended up connecting. Uh, and then Endicott and Gray both thank Greg for his help. And they each give him a penny. And it's enough for the fairy to Adelaide's. Yep. And, and uh, Fred the horse decides to stay behind. He's going He's going straight. Uh, no more crime. No more stealing. <laughs> the saddest part of the show is that Fred stays. Fred and the highwayman um, should have teamed up. Yes. Well, actually, uh, that is actually interesting because I wasn't going to bring this up. But in the comic, the uh, Fred is the highwayman's horse. And then my one of my favorite Greg lines again. Greg throws the pennies into the fountain. And he says, "Endicott had me pegged wrong. I've got no sense at all." <laughs> uh, yeah, and then that's that episode. <laughs> it was a pretty yeah. short one. It was. Uh, well, they're all pretty short, but uh, yeah, I'm I meant for the breaking down. Yeah, you know? I just didn't, don't have much to say about it. Like it's it's a fine episode. There's some good gags. Uh, Fred Stoller is fantastic. But it just, after, like, that run of, like, really great episodes, this is just sort of like, okay. It's 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 only lacking in comparison to the other parts of the show. I completely agree with you. Like I said, not one of my most favorites, but I still think it's a very good episode altogether. Uh, I don't think we really have to talk about the circle. It's pretty obvious. Agree. This is a very capitalist whole mm-hmm. economy. They want to steal from him. Uh, and everything. Um, and then I just really, I love John Cleese's performance. He's always good, but I think he does a really good voice. Yeah. And um, like you said, the gags are really good in this one, but like the biggest crime for me in this episode is I love over the garden wall for many reasons, but I will always say my favorite part is the music. Oh yeah. And, and I, this, that's, there that weren't no any music. like songs. Uh, yeah. I don't know if there's any like orchestrations or anything. I just don't think there's like anything in this. Yeah. I'm not sure. Which is okay, but like especially after the episode before, we got like four songs, and the next episode we have another one of the best songs in the whole show. So it's mm-hmm. like it's a little bit in the middle. I do want to bring one thing up to talk about this episode really quick, and this is the theory uh, that Endicott is dead. Yeah, I can I can sort of see where that could come from. Well, yeah, and the the people, why people say this is that he does not eat or drink anything. Uh, when it says about his health tea, he says, I never drink the stuff myself. He also has a huge mansion with no servants. True. And his peacocks are like ghost white. And peacocks are a symbol for life after death. Oh, are they? In mythology, yeah. Um, I guess this is kind of proven, but we'll talk about it in episode 9, the prequel episode. When he's hiding behind a gravestone, you can see a gravestone next to him that says Quincy Endicott. Oh, that's right. I did. I did uh, notice that. So I think it's a. I think it's an interesting theory and everything. And I think it, I don't know if it's a theory. I think it might be, especially with the gravestone. It kind of yeah makes sense. But but yeah, I thought it would be an interesting thing to bring up and everything. But and then yeah, so like I said, not 
I don't want to say a lackluster episode because it is a good episode. It's a lot of good jokes without the music and everything. Uh, it's just, I think the other reason what the whole thing of this episode is it's sandwiched between two of my favorite episodes in the entire series. Yeah. Episode four and, oh God, episode six. Yeah. I love episode six. So. Like I said, in uh, most other series, it would be a high point in this. It's just sort of lower just because the rest of the series is so fantastic. But Yeah, um, I definitely agree with that. Anything else to say about Over the Garden Wall Part One, Chapters One through Five? Uh, no, I guess my final thoughts are: I love, I love Over the Garden Wall. I think it's truly perfection. Um, Twin Peaks is the only thing that's ever actually spoke to me this much that like has obsessed me with this much. Like I've watched it four times, and I, I know I still like Twin Peaks the most of, of mm-hmm. that and everything because that's just been that's just really got me into weird cinema and everything. But this is so much easier to watch. Yeah, you it, watch it's... it in an afternoon. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it, it's more digestible and more even because uh, it's only two hours long. It's much more easy to control that. Um, and it right. only gets better from here. Yep. All right. I'm not sure what I want to talk about next week. I, I was watching something, but I'm struggling to get through it. And uh, yeah. Well, I, what I, is it? It's called Angels and Cherubs. It's a 1972 oh. Mexican art house movie that starts out really strong. It looks great, even though I'm watching a really poor copy. Um, but it, it's just not doing it for me. I have a couple in reserve that I've talked about before that I might pull out. I'll let you know soon. Uh, well, thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next week. And now I'm going to begin to edit this episode. And like I do every time I edit an episode, I will continue to record as I edit it. Um. Hey, Ian, uh, put a mask on. I'm editing in here. If those are my discharge papers, give it to me straight. I can take it. I have a message. Lieutenant Colonel Billy Martell's plane was shot down over the sea of Japan. It spun in. There were no survivors. Uh,